Hey everyone, before we get into today's show, I wanna give a quick shout out to our sponsors, Coinbase Prime and Ledger. Love these companies, genuinely proud to call them sponsors of the show. You're gonna be hearing all about them later from me, but now on with the program. Bitcoin is the best asymmetric trade I've ever seen, and it's actually gotten better since I got involved in it five years ago. Creative destruction has come for money. The world will never look the same. And it, it, it's, it's a really good thing because prices will fall everywhere on everything. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of On The March. And we got some veterans here uh, in the form of Jeff Booth and Greg Foss. What's going on, gentlemen? All good here. I'm, uh, I'm excited to join you. Thanks for having me. All right, guys, I want to get into it because uh, we're talking on Friday here. So it's October uh, 15th. Uh, just to give everyone an update, Bitcoin, I think, just crossed over 60K. Woo! Uh, and everyone is talking about this uh, futures-based Bitcoin ETF. Uh, but just really high level, what do you guys think of this whole process that's going on right now? What do you think about a futures-based Bitcoin ETF? The reason I believe the SEC will approve a, f- approved a futures-based ETF versus a cash base or spot is the concern over the manipulation in cash markets that aren't controlled by the SEC. Okay, so the key thing here is that this is a, a CME futures-based regulatory under the eyes of the U.S. regulatory authorities. And therefore, the, this, the future-based ETF is, gives them more comfort that there's not uh, nefarious market manipulation taking place. I will say from my experience of the Canadian market where we do have a cash-based ETF, and I was involved in a company that helped bring that, um, the concerns over market manipulation were able to be uh, quite easily... Um, uh, how about battled uh, when we battled with the Ontario Securities Commission? Um, I'm not saying the futures based ETF is, is a poor thing, but when the ETF curve, excuse me, when the futures curve is in what's called contango or upward sloping, meaning that the near future is uh, uh, less expensive than the, uh, say, the three month future, if you buy three month futures and continue to roll down the curve, you're you're giving away uh, you're giving away roll uh, you know there's a, a natural bleed every time you roll that contract and that's not the most efficient way to get exposure to the ETF as, excuse me to the Bitcoin asset class in my opinion. That being said, it's better than nothing. Uh, I think you'll see enormous uh, trading volumes. Uh, that's good for any market, especially when the big boys in the United States get involved. Uh, that brings stability. It brings liquidity. It brings expertise. It brings all these things to an asset class that up until now has been, you know, a bit of a fringe, uh, a fringe asset on, on the books, at least of the big players. It's a good thing in bringing more attention to the asset class and, and a whole bunch more of the big players can now play in this asset class and they will make money and it'll bring more attention to th- that asset class. But individual investors don't need that asset class to play Bitcoin um, in a better way. So I would recommend self-custody um, because otherwise you're just giving that uh, that that margin away. You know, I, I agree from a, from like, you know, from my own personal perspective, right? This doesn't really impact me all that much. I would never choose this particular vehicle to own Bitcoin because I have a Coinbase account, right? And that's what I use basically to buy and to buy and all my Bitcoin spot. Um, but from an institutional perspective, how do you guys think they're going to view this? Do you think this is kind of like a, something that looks like a bit of a stamp of approval for them? Do you think a lot of them will actually choose to get exposure by this vehicle? Understanding, because institutions will understand what roll costs are, whereas the average retail investor just doesn't even know what that is. Do you think they'll actually, like, how are they going to view this? Do they actually see 
flows kind of moving into products like this or what are your thoughts there? Yeah, well, in Canada, a lot of flows went into products like this, and I expect mm-hmm. a lot of flows to go in products like this in, in, in the U.S. as well. Um, again, anything, and you can see this happening in Bitcoin, and, and this is actually, if you take this not just into the ETF, but broadly into Bitcoin ecosystem, I think this is the thing that people misunderstand. Ease of use and bringing more people on, which is a... a happens with technology as you as you make the rails easier and easier to bring more people on brings more people on in a variety of different ways and this is one way for a whole bunch of people to gain exposure and it's pretty it'll be an ease so it'll be an ease of use and people will choose it and i concur um you know when you're managing institutional money which um you know i have uh, and that be, you, you know, and I need to make that clear. I managed money on behalf of other large pension funds that uh, had, you know, wanted exposure. For example, to my hedge fund, which or the hedge fund I worked at, which was a credit-focused hedge fund. And when you take that money uh, as a fiduciary responsibility, uh, they want to know that there is a certain level of regulation. Okay, that's mm. just the way they do their work, and totally. they would never hold anything on a wallet. Okay, they multi-sig or anything, there is a lot of concern with the stamp of approval of a regulatory authority. So these are self-regulated organizations, SROs. The whole market, the beauty of the U.S. market is the regulatory bodies that try to self-regulate themselves. That's a beautiful thing. Some people would say it's centralized. I'm not going to disagree that it's centralized, but certain times centralization is a good thing. Okay, mm-hmm. there's a lot of nefarious activity that incurs. I'll, I won't go and say it's on Wall Street, but I'll promise you that there's a lot of nefarious opportunity that occurs in Bay Street. Okay, and why? Because I've lived there. I've seen it. There's enough room for a Bitcoin futures-based ETF. The other thing, though, that I find amazing and I did actually just tweet this out, is the GBTC, Grayscale Bitcoin Cash-Based Closed-End ETF, which at one point in my trading history traded as high as an 85% premium Mm. to net asset value, which is 100% Bitcoin, is still trading at 17% discount to its net asset value. And this is a $20 billion fund. I I mean, let's do some quick math here. That's a $3.4 billion delta. Like, man, this excites me. Like, I wish I was a big-ass friggin' long shorting futures and long GBTC and just put this on and I'm doing it and I'm doing it 500 million aside. And then I'm going to do another 500 million aside. And man, that's where you make some VIG. That Mm. is what the GBTC is now got a vehicle that these hedge funds can say, shorting this and I'm longing this and there's a 17% plus contango roll. Giddy up, giddy up, giddy up, giddy up, giddy up. So anyway, I think it's exciting. Um, why? I guess why do you guys think that, a, I know Greg, you were starting to talk about this at the beginning, but why did a futures-based ETF get approved not necessarily spot? And what do we need to do in the U.S. to see a spot-based ETF, right? Because you, Greg, you have that up in Canada, right? So I guess just your thoughts on, you know, concluding thoughts on the Bitcoin futures-based ETF and what do we need to see a, a spot ETF here in the U.S.? 
I'll say it really quickly and then Jeff will expand. Again, it's because they had uh, comfort uh, regulating the uh, CME or the Chicago Mercantile Exchange futures. Uh, they can't regulate the spot Bitcoin market because a lot of it takes, tra uh, takes uh, place overseas, as we know, uh, trades 24-7. Uh, that's going to be interesting, right? When the CME futures are closed. This is nuts. This is like people haven't quite thought of this, totally. all the operating yeah. uh, considerations that are going to take place. Um, and, and then where do, you, where do you mark a spot? You know, in Canada, we've taken the 4 p.m. Uh, mark as the close for the day, but Bitcoin never closes. So this, is that really the, the, the mark that you take for, your, for valuing your portfolios and everything? Look, it's a learning process. Uh, I think they did it out of regulatory concern of their their uh, understanding that you you can't regulate the cash markets in Bitcoin. That's the problem or the benefit of a decentralized, whereas CME is more centralized. Over to you, Jeff. Because this is a global currency or global asset value will be global currency that settles in real time anywhere. Um, it's these are all new uh, new things that uh, that systems weren't set up for mm. right so there's a so there's an entire regulatory framework that's evolving to try to meet a technology that is going to bring abundance to people right and 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 so i understand so so some of that regulatory framework is going to try to shut down things that are scams and and get and, and a bunch of the altcoins are going to be are going to be caught in that regulatory framework as as well but it's um but you're going to have to create new frameworks to be able mm -hmm. to deal with the technology that is moving this fast i'm with you man i'm on, on a purely emotional level i just like a warm fuzzy feeling inside you know what i mean yeah. it's just awesome man like how far have we come that, that this is actually happening um it is amazing really exciting and i guess like my bigger thesis and like matt levine does a great job of uh framing this which is that there's kind of this like legacy finance world over here, a bunch of money and assets over here. There's this new parallel crypto world over here. And a lot of the great businesses that have been built so far in this space is moving oh, capital and assets from point A to point B. But, you know, if you look at a lot of the investment vehicles that have been available for institutions to make that move, you think about like the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, right? Yes. That's like one yeah. big instrument. Uh, you kind of think of some other public market proxies, like kind of MicroStrategy has served that purpose uh, by and large. Um, yes. You know, like... Uh, uh, like Silvergate, uh, other public companies. Now, I guess yep. you have Coinbase as well. Um, and then the you miners. Have... You have the Bitcoin miners for sure. Oh, yeah, we should talk about Bitcoin mining too because that's an exploding space, uh, and especially in North America as well, like Texas. Yeah. Did you go to the mining conference, by the way? I didn't. I talked to people that were there. Certainly, uh, we have a client. Uh, no, you know, full disclosure, the power company that I'm a part of uh, mm. has HUD-8 as a very valuable client. Uh, that we've announced, you know, 100 megawatts uh, or more. I can't remember, but at least 100. Um, so look, yeah, Bitcoin mining may or may not be uh, an alternative for some investors, but the reality is it's becoming a bigger and bigger space. There's about $30 billion of Bitcoin mining equity market cap right now. That's a rounding error still, but it's bigger than, you know, it was. And it's only going to get bigger as well. I mean, yeah, the Bitcoin mining space is, is super interesting in general. I mean, I think and that uh, it's a capital intensive part of crypto in general, right? So having access to broader capital markets for mining, I think is a huge development, right? That's probably not getting talked about nearly enough. But point being, there are these kind of vehicles um, that are emerging, right, for uh, 
to migrate capital from the legacy finance system into this alternative uh, crypto Bitcoin uh, kind of system over here. And I guess my take on the, the futures based ETF, it's not something that I would personally use, but it is a big kind of maybe a stamp of approval, um, you know, and it will certainly make institutional money feel more comfortable about this space in general. And the last thing I would add to this whole thing is one unique thing that has been pointed out before is that you, retail is weirdly, maybe for the first time ever, kind of ahead of institutions because you have better vehicles for owning this stuff than institutions can do, right? Like if you're, if you're trying to get your, your options, right, for getting exposure to Bitcoin, right, as an institution, you know, you're kind of either looking at GBTC, right, which has a 2% management fee, um, right, or you're kind of looking at this futures uh, ETF, which uh, there are roll costs there that we were just talking about. Uh, and the options for retail is actually kind of better than it is for institutions. I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but that's kind of how I feel. The answer is absolutely, unequivocally yes. But, but you have to ask yourself, um, who benefits most from the financial infrastructure today? And why would why would they be slow to adopt something like this? And, the, and and just look at any other technology rollout, and look at look at Google when Google came in. Was it was it the big brands that went on to Google first, or was it everybody else? And I know because we built to Google or, or, or early, and it gave an, an unparalleled opportunity because our cost of advertising to to try to drive into TV or radio at the time was enormous, or you could just build to Google. And so the long tail, the everyone benefits most from, from technology change. Same thing, same thing Amazon. Amazon, was it, the, was it the, all of the brands who were on Walmart shelves, or was it everybody else who didn't have access? And so when you're dealing with any technology that reduces the, the cost and allows way more participants to a system, the people that were, were most locked out of the system go first. And, the, and, and, it, and, it, and that's, that's the creative destruction that, that most people don't see in an in industry. So when you look at the existing financial architecture of the world, the existing financial architecture of the world works a certain way, um, and, and it, 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 it creates a whole bunch of value to the people at the top, and those people might not want to change. That's what. That's why Bitcoin is such a is such a game changer, because it changes it from the bottom up, and it gives it, it's a technology that empowers uh, empowers individuals and empowers humanity. And it changes it in in such a profound way, that most times that that the existing architecture can't see it until too. That's what's happened. Can't see it until it's too late, and then it accelerates and accelerates and accelerates, and they need to get in as well. So that's the entire dynamic around Bitcoin that is actually driving that performance and will not stop. It's going to take. It's, and Greg, Greg and I talk about this. This and it's, and it's important that while one system we live in controls just about everything in our life, and we measure everything from that system, and a different system is emerging, it looks more like a network transfer, mm. and you can't just. If you, if you stopped the existing system today, you would have chaos everywhere. It would be it would be Lebanon right now. It would be banks like nobody would be able to transact with the existing system. So you need you need a transfer to a new system. So everything that we're talking about, every new person that comes on, every new node, every new mining, every new piece, of, this ETF is part of that network transfer. 
to what will bring an entire new, entirely new system, which is exciting. And for the people that go earlier, yeah, they, they gain more of the value in the network transfer. And, and that's beautifully said. I'm just going to add, um, I own Bitcoin three separate ways. Uh, of course, I started with a Coinbase wallet because I wasn't even aware of the Canadian offerings. So I have Coinbase on, excuse me, I have Bitcoin on a Coinbase wallet. I also have Bitcoin on a ShakePay wallet, which is a solid Canadian product <laughs> offering. And Bull Bitcoin. And uh, so I, I, I experiment with these things and I keep a few Bitcoin, not a few, sorry, I keep some uh, Satoshis on each wallet on my iPhone. But then I have my cold storage. But then you got to understand the ability in Canada to reap tax advantages by holding Bitcoin in an, a Bitcoin ETF. So yes, not your keys, not your Bitcoin, but heck, the government's giving me 50% advantage. So I can actually buy 50% more Bitcoin with the same initial investment after tax. I'm going to take that. I mean, I love all these Bitcoin, not your keys, not your, your, your code or whatever, not your Bitcoin, not your keys, not your Bitcoin. I'll take 50%, thank you, and I'll leave you with the nice uh, solid phrases that, yeah, I don't own it, but guess what? I get 50% more with each dollar invested. Uh, and then the third one, and I need to point this out, I'm a Canadian. GBTC trading at a 17% discount, I cannot put that in my tax advantaged accounts, but guess what? It costs you 2% a year, that's the management fee. Take that management fee out and it's still trading at a 15% discount to net asset value. I'm afraid that my hedge fund days don't allow me to overthink things when something's <laughs> given to me at a 15% discount. I don't care if it's GBTC and the guy is some sort of, it's 15% discount. It ain't ever going back to a premium. I'm okay with that. But it is likely to be approved for an ETF someday. And I think that premium is too high, especially when I can hedge it. I'm not doing this, but if I was a big guy, and I had access to the futures ETF, and I had access to selling futures on the roll three months out and hedging it to a 17 or a 15% after fee discount, put it on, go to Barcelona, Jeff and I walk <laughs> around Europe for a couple of years, and I come home and my trade is looking pretty good. Pretty certain about that. I love what you said about kind of just um, that whole analogy of like a network transfer. And I'm just gonna ask now, what do you guys think about these Jamie Dimon comments? Uh, him coming out and talking about this because on the one hand I guess there is a possibility for him that he literally just doesn't uh, see or understand the value uh, in Bitcoin I mean the other possibility that I get that this sounds almost conspiratorial but he just has such a stake uh, in the legacy financial system and maybe he actually does really understand what's going on and views it as being extremely threatening and disruptive like what are your what are your thoughts when Jamie Dimon comes out and says I don't see the value here like what do you guys think Upton Sinclair, uh, years ago, I said, quote, it's difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on him not understanding it. Mm -hmm. And so if you think about the entire legacy financial system um, on what that looks like, and, and, and when you say socializing losses, that's a one-way bet that you can't fail as a bank. Um, and when 2000, you've made a whole bunch of bad bets on real estate and then, and, and then, and then those bets go bad and you socialize those losses and you hide those and, 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 and society pays for those losses while you enrich yourself. That's what the existing financial architecture looks like. And it's looked like that for a long time. And so 
so Satoshi, this invention, this uh, uh, Bitcoin, what it is, and, and people understanding what that looks like, that's actually why it creates that conviction in Bitcoin and, gives, and, and, and people want to do their homework. Um, the amount of homework I've done on this, the amount of homework that Greg's done on this, and to look at any other system that could replace the existing system, I haven't seen anything, nothing. Mm. Um, I, I'm open to the, to the fact that there might be something, but I don't see it. And I think what's happening is Bitcoin is an emergent system. And meaning, yeah. when I say emergent, I mean every single one of us, and think of us as nodes in this system, that will not sell our Bitcoin and will and will promote it and everything else. We don't get paid for this. I have no business in in Bitcoin whatsoever. I'm doing this kind of because I think the transition for society, humanity, is critical, so that you don't concentrate all power in very few people who could change their mind about everything they they, they decide once that power is accumulated. Bitcoin is a transition to a different to to a world that looks very different than the path we're on right now, and 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 every one of us, every one of those people that is seeing it, whatever reason they're seeing it, whether it's an ETF seeing it, whether it's because Jamie Dimon makes some stupid comment and they, people realize he's either stupid or he hasn't done his work, and it doesn't see, he doesn't seem stupid. No. Right. He doesn't seem it doesn't. Um, so so what what could be the reason he's saying something like that? And when you realize what the reason could be that he's saying something like that, you're like, wow, this is really important. It becomes more important and more and more people start to see. It, it, and, and I've said this on a couple of different podcasts, but the more a system is essentially a view of corruption in base money, which is just a language. Right? It's a trade of our time. So if you have corruption in the trade of our time, and the more that has to explode, it has to keep on getting greater and greater and greater. So you have, so you have essentially misinformation in, in money means you must have misinformation everywhere else. And, and as that exponentially grows, that misinformation exponentially grows, more and more people call into question the same thing that is creating that misinformation and more and more people find Bitcoin. So if you look at these two systems, that is that network transfer as we talk about, one is causing the other, right? And, and it doesn't matter what Elon Musk promoting Dogecoin and then Dogecoin falling and everything yeah. else. People, 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 people call, call that out and, they, and, 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 and more and more people call it. It brings more people on, again, more misinformation, expanding exponentially, must create the exact same path that we're seeing in Bitcoin. One drives the other because people are searching for the truth. And once they see it, they can't unsee it. Completely agree. Um, and speaking of things that are moving quickly, I do want to get your guys' thoughts on Lightning in general. Um, and I'll, I'll just put my hand up and say this is something that I didn't fully understand um, or didn't think was as valuable as I, I might be changing my mind on it. Um, my thought process just being, I, I really do believe, uh, Jeff, what you were saying about, like, I do believe base money corruption is happening right now. Uh, I basically, Bitcoin is a one-way street for me in that I buy it and I don't have any plans to sell it. Uh, so, you know, for when I... A lot of the rhetoric around the Lightning Network is, oh, well, it makes it easier to to spend your your Bitcoin. And I was thinking, like, well, well but I'm never going to spend my Bitcoin, so why do I why do I necessarily care? Um, and Lynn Alden was the first one who said, 
hey, you should think about this not necessarily in terms of being able to buy a coffee with your Bitcoin, but in terms of a, a global remittance network for payments. Um, and I never want to be on the other side of a Lynn Alden argument. Uh, that's a pretty good indication that you're in the wrong spot. Uh, but like, if you look at the, the chart of lightning network capacity, it's like, I mean, it's like a straight, uh, it's a parabolic curve. Um, so I guess anything to add there? Like, how do you guys view lightning as a, as a are you excited about Bitcoin kind of payments, uh, adoption of lightning network? Like, what are your overall thoughts? Am I excited about it? It's crazy excited about it. Mm. Now you have two network effects feeding back on each other mm. against the store of value that will, and this is what I think a whole bunch of people in the altcoin space are missing, completely missing. And why they see value today in some of those altcoins that produced a different a different opportunity before Bitcoin could. So Bitcoin around was designed to for security to essentially take cheat, the cheat code out of government's hands, right? Manipulation of money out of government's hands. It's designed around security so that, and, and that's a pr proof of work, to be able to be decentralized forever. So the abundance gained as we, we move through technology future is passed to most people as you, as you, instead of corrupting that and concentrating it. That is what Bitcoin is designed for. But being designed for that meant it couldn't be a very good payment rail. So, but what ends up happening, and in, in, uh, Nick Badia, Layered Money, does a really yep. good job of, uh, 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 of this. What ends up happening on the second layer, third layer, and everything else is the payment rail happens on the second layer. Just like payment rail used to happen to gold, and then you created uh, currency on top of gold. This is a payment rail that settles in, in, every time to the primary currency, primary asset value. And, and now if you talk about this from a, and remember, Ethereum and everything else had a different use case. If you look at it as a business, it wanted to be a global computer. Mm. And, and it, didn't, it didn't create the security, it created security through control. Um, through, through I control it, I'm, I own most of it, I get to change the rules, like our existing system. Bitcoin had a different, and different, uh, different setup. But now where we are, now remember, where Lightning it was, it's a relatively new part of this exponential path, right, of technology uh, moving. Um, Taproot will do the same through contracts and everything else. And so the ecosystem that's fl building on, on Bitcoin removes the need for a whole bunch of the other altcoins anyways over time. But more important than that, if you just said, we're in one system moving to another system, you would say a prerequisite to move to another system would be payments. Because in, if people couldn't pay people, right. then if you couldn't, if it was just this, if it was a piece of gold that you had in your pocket and you couldn't, it had no value, nobody would take it, um, then, then it's probably useless unless people peg their value to it. But now actually, once, once you have a, a, a super fast payment rail, now, now think about that payment rail too. Visa's payment rail charges a merchant, call it two and a half to three and a half percent. Yeah. to be able to give that payment rail. This payment rail charges a per, uh, the, the, the merchant zero or negligible. What do you think is going to happen when a whole bunch of merchants can increase their margins 
by two and a half to three and a half percent, and some of those merchants today make 0.5 percent net net profit. Those those merchants are going to adopt this like crazy, and as merchants adopt it, so too will 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 users. And so the network effect that you see in Lightning, and and a part of it was accelerated by uh, by uh, by El Salvador and everything else, but the network effect that you see on Lightning, reinforcing the primary uh, primary Bitcoin uh, store store of value, is literally unstoppable. But that's critically important, and why that's critically important is there must be a network transfer. As one system collapses, otherwise it's it's chaos on the streets as nobody could pay their bills. So you're going to see this emerge, and you're going to see you're going to see both of those network effects reinforcing each other in this ecosystem. It's really powerful, and I think it's it's vastly underrated. Yeah, well, what a great mm. write another book based on that paragraphs or those couple of paragraphs. <laughs> um, but here's the cool thing, uh, and Jeff knows this, but I'm, I need to fully disclose that I have committed to make an investment in Ibex Mercado who Jeff was gracious enough to come at Blockworks in Bretton Woods and give a, a keynote appearance to a group in uh, El Salvador. So Ibex Mercado are the guys from Guatemala that uh, live three-hour drive from, uh, from um, uh, El Salvador, and they have been employed by the government for the merchant solution for the Chivo wallet. So I'm privy to some information that, uh, well, you know what, you can't trade on it, so... I'll tell you, it's very positive information coming out of El Salvador. And I want to point something that Jeff said. And here's how a privileged world we live in. So you guys may or may not know, I'm a partner in eight Irish pubs in Montreal. And those eight Irish pubs, we pay, as Jeff said, merchant fees on credit cards of 2.5%. And our margins, and we're good restaurants, we're at about 14% EBITDA margin, okay? We could be at 16.5% if... And assuming it, not everybody pays with credit cards, but you know a lot of people do. A lot of them. Um, we could we could definitely increase our margins because you know the credit card. If we don't have to pay those merchant fees, well, our EBITDA margin goes up uh, accordingly. Do you know what merchant fees for credit cards are in El Salvador? Eight percent, guys. Eight. Yeah. This is outrageous. So you think eight percent? You think that? Running a business in Canada is tough with two and a half percent merchant fees. Imagine running a restaurant in El Salvador where your ten percent EBITDA margin is doing exceptionally, incredibly well on an industry average, and your credit card fees are eight percent. Guys, Lightning is not just going to disintermediate Western Union. I'm uh, pretty excited about someday being pretty good size short on Visa. Not now, not now. Not and I'm now. not going to be Michael <laughs> yeah. Burry that calls it out for seven friggin' years and then he's finally right and he's some sort of, I'm going to just say, watch Visa. Oh, maybe that's why Jamie Dimon's a little concerned because his captive merchant fees in third world countries might be under pressure. I'm not saying that. You do your own mathematics. The other thing that I do know, again, there were only two and a half, or uh, there's six million people in El Salvador. I think a million and a half of them had bank accounts. There's currently three million people in El Salvador with a wallet, a Bitcoin wallet on their phone. You tell me this stuff isn't life-changing for these people? 
changing the GDP of the country, changing the uh, profitability of restaurants and small businesses in El Salvador, and also then the livelihood and the, and the productivity of the people who can store value on their phone. They didn't even have access to bank accounts prior to this. Like, I'm telling you, this is only El Salvador. This is 6 million people. Now, Jeff, I'm going to tell you, I was very honored to be yesterday speaking to 45 members of parliament in Canada hmm. on Bitcoin, led Congrats, by our awesome. friend Pierre Poilievre. Okay, 45 members of parliament. They want to know about Bitcoin. And I did tell them on the, uh, on, on the Zoom call... I, and I said it with all respect to my French-Canadian wife and certainly Pierre Poiliev, who's Franco-Albertan. He's not a Quebecois. <laughs> I said, maybe we should start learning Spanish in Canada because if we don't get our acting gear, we're going to be reporting to the Central Americans who've embraced this before Canada. This is all about competitive a marketplace, no different than a country or, excuse me, a company. This is country dynamics, much like another company would look down the road and say, boy, why is Jeff Booth's bar doing so well? Well, because he's encouraging people to pay with Bitcoin and can therefore cut 8% off the price of his beer to get more clients to come into his restaurant. You know, all of these things are unbelievably cool opportunities that increase the network adoption that Jeff very eloquently laid out. So, Greg, if you just build on that piece, so the first part that incentivizes restaurants or anybody to use it, and actually the same thing that that we talked about before, early on a uh, in in Google or Amazon, right? Mm-hmm. You just think about the people that are blocked out of this uh, the existing financial infrastructure today. Third world countries are blocked out of the existing financial. So it's just a country example of, of the same phenomenon happening at a person level here. Exactly. Why, why we don't see it as much is because of our privilege. We don't see that there's a cost of our privilege elsewhere in the world. And that, and that cost is the same reason that some of these countries are moving to it, to it faster than countries in the G7. Um, and, and Greg's right. They better, we better get our act together because otherwise we're going to be falling behind because all of the innovation and all of the dynamics are going to move to those, to those countries because it, because it provides, again, the first wave, com- companies will do it because it increases their margin mm-hmm. and they'll be more profitable and they'll, be big, and they'll build way better businesses than the ones that aren't on it. And then the w- ones that aren't on it are going to compete and they're going to drive into it as, w- as well. And, w- and the second wave is prices come down. And, and, and you know from my book, I talked about technology reduces, it gives us more for less. Yeah. It, is the, it is the central point of this whole thing. Fighting against that with monetary policy to be able to, to concentrate control in a very th- small hands is an, is an aberration against the world. So, so this... Bitcoin force is a forcing function, essentially by stopping the by by stopping the free market from happening, but stopping creative destruction in the free market, stopping creative destruction in the overall market, and socializing losses. Creative destruction has come for money. The world will never look the same. Uh, the free market has come for money, and, and and what you're seeing is that 
crazy network effect, network effect technology, brains moving in this this field, advancing advancing something that won't be stopped, and it, it's it's a really good thing because prices will fall everywhere on everything, and it's actually the only way if you go to a way higher level. A requirement to move into the future where we are in, in, uh, with humanity, a requirement is, tech, is a, a digitally native currency that allows for deflation. Because without that requirement, you're concentrating all wealth and power in very few hands. And that is a fact. Howdy, everyone. This episode is brought to you by Coinbase Prime, the leading prime brokerage solution for all things digital assets, providing secure custody, trading, and financing to an institutional suite of clients. On the retail side of things, I am more than happy to make this endorsement because I have been a custody customer of Coinbase since the day that I got into crypto. I still keep the vast majority of my assets there, actually, and I do it for one reason and one reason alone, so that I can sleep easy at night knowing that my funds are safe. It's the same reason when family or friends ask me, where should I buy my first Bitcoin? I direct them to Coinbase. And now, finally, when institutions are starting to ask, what's the most safe infrastructure to use? I only point them in one direction, to Coinbase Prime. And the reason that I do that is because it is peace of mind. When it comes to security, everything is top of the line on this platform. And it's a white glove experience to boot. They've been securing client assets at scale for eight years, which as of Q2 of this year is $180 billion. They have an industry-leading insurance policy and they're audited by Blue Chip auditors so that you can sleep easy at night too. So stop listening to me, click the link at this bottom of this episode and go check them out for yourself. And when you get there, tell them that I sent you because I love to get credit. When it comes to crypto, security and custody is paramount. Introducing this episode's sponsor, Ledger, your secure gateway to buy, exchange and grow your crypto assets. I know I've got a smart audience, so I'm assuming slash hoping that most of you already have your Ledger hardware wallet, but just in case you don't, this is how I think about it. I wouldn't get into a car if I couldn't wear a seatbelt, and I don't operate in crypto unless I can do it for my Ledger hardware wallet. Crypto is really exciting, but it is still the Wild West. There are lots of risks, and Ledger is the easiest way to make sure that you are still protected. And the best part about Ledger is that you don't need to make any trade-offs between security of your funds and utility of your assets because Ledger has Ledger Live, which is a software that syncs right up to your Ledger hardware wallet and you can do anything that you'd want to do with your crypto assets. You can easily send and receive, you can buy and exchange, and you can get access to staking. And they've actually started to aggregate some of the best DeFi apps and services out there. Two of my favorites, Paraswap, a decentralized aggregator, and they've got Lido for staking. And stay tuned, I'm going to keep you guys updated. They've got some really cool services uh, coming out soon. Ave, Compound, and One Inch among them. So if you take one thing away from this, guys, please, please, please make sure that you're protected in this space. Get yourself a Ledger hardware wallet today and start using the Ledger Live app. Click the link at the bottom of this episode. Thank me later. You know, the idea of a something that looks like an internet native currency, right? This is actually something that's existed for a lot. That the, the, the need has been understood, right? Uh, for this for a really long time. Guys like Milton Friedman identified this a long time ago. Um, right, and it just didn't. Henry, uh, nobody Henry, Henry, Henry Ford, Buckminster Fuller, and then it, all of these people for the for for a long time of time. What what would be the perfect currency? The code wasn't cracked to create right. the, the the perfect currency. So you're exactly right. So so thought leaders th- uh, throughout our time have talked about what this could look like. 
but we didn't have the technology, the technology didn't exist to, to allow it to happen. And so if, even if you think about the innovation of when Bitcoin came out, all of the different innovations that came together to create that that spot uh, in in time it is it's a 20 year course through through uh, 20 years of evolving through through um, uh, through markov chains a whole bunch of different things to be able to find to to be able to get to that point where bitcoin uh, it was invented yeah. and that's amazing because you know 100 years ago over 100 years ago henry ford famously said an energy currency that would eliminate wars, right? Um, so I find it very interesting that uh, Vlad Putin is entertaining uh, the potential for oil to be paid for, and he called it crypto. But Vlad Putin is a smart engineer, and he knows that uh, the, the first law of thermodynamics, which is conservation of energy, means that oil and natural gas naturally should be priced in Bitcoin, because Bitcoin is digital energy. So that I just wanted to build on that one for, from Jeff's perspective. You know, lots of people have been calling for it. It hadn't been developed, but Bitcoin is what Ford saw over 100 years ago. There's another great Henry Ford quote I thought you were going to bring up there, which is, uh, it's just as well that the American people don't understand the banking system, for if they do, I believe there'd be a revolution tomorrow. <laughs> in the morning, and I've lived that life too, because I told the members of parliament yesterday when I first started working at the Royal Bank of Canada, Canada's largest financial institution, it was insolvent. And I know it didn't sink into their head until I said, bankruptcy. Yeah, what? And then they realized... The banking system is only what it is because of the implied backstop of being able to print this thing called fiat money. Have you guys noticed that, uh, and maybe this is uh, where we can transition to probably a part of the conversation that we're not going to agree on as much, because uh, Jeff, I do want to talk to your, get your thesis on kind of altcoins and the stuff in crypto outside of Bitcoin. Uh, but if you noticed that uh, people that are getting into this space, there's a remarkably similar thought pattern that occurs across uh, a whole bunch of different types of people. Like when I was first getting involved in, um, I remember listening to Pomp in one of the early days of his shows describe this, and it really re it resonated with me. Uh, but back then, enterprise blockchain in like 2017, 2018, remember that was still a thing? And um, a lot of people went on this journey. I was a consultant before this, so what I understood was operations and supply chain. And, uh, you know, you first get exposed to something like crypto and Bitcoin. You're like, well, uh, I'm not really sure this makes a whole lot of sense. But like some sort of light bulb goes on, you try to jam it into your own worldview or how you understand things. Uh, and I'm like, oh, well, I, oh, okay, this is cool. Like all assets get tracked in a system. There'd be supply chain applications for this, yada, yada. And then you go down that road and you're like, wait a second, none of this makes any sense. Actually, it was all Bitcoin, uh, you know, the whole time. And then you, but there's this kind of remarkable journey that everyone goes through. And like, Greg, what you were saying is like everyone thinks they're a day trader. I can't tell you how many of my friends I have talked to about Bitcoin. They're like, I'm, I'm going to wait for a dip. Why do that? Why do you do that? That's just not a smart entry. Either this is an asset worth owning or it's not. Okay. If it is, then it is. And then what's the entry strategy? You dollar cost average. Waiting for a dip is just a poor entry strategy for how to get ownership of this asset. But like everyone thinks like that. So I think that, I don't know. you know, you, your guy that writes, Brian, uh, that writes for your block works, uh, wrote a pretty mm -hmm. neat article either was it today or yesterday where he said, look, I don't try and short the market as a, as a profession because over time the market goes higher. Uh, but you know, and it was neat because it's a very wise uh, equity trader type of uh, thought process. The reality is 
there's another expression, never short a bull market, right? Yep. Uh, trend is your friend, all these other things. So yeah, everyone uh, says, gosh, they have price uh, uh, remorse. Uh, I missed it at 1,000, I missed it at 5,000, I missed it at 10,000. Let me be very clear about this. Uh, and I think this is something I can talk about because I've done this for 32 years. Uh, and 30 years I did it professionally, managing other people's money. Managing other people's money is a horrible, horrible job. <laughs> Okay, because they will only give you credit, their credit to you. Oh, the guy did great. He's a Bitcoin allocator. He did great, but I'm so smart. I put my money with him and uh, look at me. I'm a superstar allocator and this guy convinced me to get into Bitcoin. The, the flip side of that is I'm a money manager. I own Bitcoin and Bitcoin goes offside and these guys are upset. God, he's stupid. Why did I ever listen to him? Like as if I, I had pulled them in in some sort of, uh, you know, false narrative. Managing money is horrible. In order of priorities, it's easiest to lose your own money. Second easiest to lose a bank's money and absolutely horrible to lose friends, family and client money. Okay. Anyone who thinks they want to do that on a professional basis, trust me, sit in the chair for a year and a half in a bear market. You don't want to do this. And so I've seen the world melt down four successive times in my career. I think I know how to manage risk. I survived all four of those financial crises. I came out with war wounds and, you know, stomach ulcers. And I talk about, you know, my perhaps a little grosser types of things that I came out with. But at the end of the day, Bitcoin today, right now, is cheaper on a risk adjusted basis than it was when I got involved with Bitcoin in 2016. Okay. What happened since 2016 when I got involved in Bitcoin? Not only the price has gone up 50 times. Okay, that's fair. But COVID, COVID happened and governments yep. have proved that we will never escape this debt spiral ever. Cynthia Loomis said it so beautifully on a C-SPAN thing. The governments have been irresponsible and mathematically it's impossible to escape this DEBT spiral. Very cool. Head yourself accordingly. Don't overthink it. Bitcoin is the best asymmetric trade I've ever seen. And it's actually gotten better since I got involved in it five years ago. I know it doesn't resonate with people and they want to buy a dip and they want to do this. Put 5% in your portfolio and then concentrate on the other 95% of your portfolio that really is risky. Bitcoin's <laughs> so your insurance. It's just, I, right. I just need people to take that experience. I've seen people literally carted off a trading floor because they had a heart attack right in front of me. Jesus. Yeah, I've managed risk for 32 years. Please, it has nothing to do with where it's been. It has everything to do with where it is going. Yeah, and, and, and if you're talking price, Again, and a lot of people are talking price. You just right. asked about price and everything else. And that's mm -hmm. that's a natural thing that a lot of people are doing. And they're measuring that price in U.S. dollars. They're measuring that price in a system that is that has to print money forever. Mm -hmm. That has to keep on. So, 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 um, but. I, so, number one, it, we, I, I totally agree. There is no asymmetric bat unless the majority of people misunderstand it 
So, so the, the majority of people still misunderstand it and, 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 how, and how, how early we are. That's how Greg, as a trader, creates that ARB. That is how, but, by the way, it's the exact same thing as any entrepreneur wanting to change the world with their idea. Everything around us is just an idea. The system we live in is an idea, first started with an idea. The iPhone is an idea that replaced another idea. And you have to have conviction. You have to have two things. You have to be able to see the future of your idea pass out. Um, and you have to have, so you have to, and you have to have conviction on that idea. Otherwise, you'd never start a business. Um, and you have to be right. Mm -hmm. On both of those, you create asymmetric bets. Right? And, and because most people don't see that, that's why entrepreneurs are, seem so crazy to the rest of the world, because most people live in a world where oh, everything stays the same forever, and it's constantly changing. And, it, and, and entrepreneurs are creating the future that we, we are a part of. If you look at Bitcoin through that same lens, that's all it is. It's yep. a whole bunch of people that believe in a new system, that, and they're creating that system. And the more belief that there is in that system, we're going to transition to that system, and that system is going to be a far produce far better results for society. Now, yes, a whole bunch of people that are get going in early are going to create untold wealth in that new system. And but this is actually critically important to understand too, because there is a, a belief from a lot of people who don't understand what we're talking about right now that you've just transferred power to a new set of people, and the world looks the same. And that couldn't be anything. There couldn't be anything further from the truth, because the world looks the same. Because because the people at the top of the economic pyramid write the rules of the system, and they keep on changing the rules so that they stay on the top of the economic pyramid. That doesn't happen in Bitcoin. You make a mistake, you make a bad bet, you lose your Bitcoin. If you want, to, if you want, wealth doesn't equal power in the Bitcoin world. If you have a whole bunch of wealth in, 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 in Bitcoin and you want control of other people, so you bring a whole bunch of people so you pay them more to control them, then you're distributing your Bitcoin by trying to retain control. So the, the system incentives make ensure that the path to abundance for the greater part of humanity are aligned. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's a way bigger deal than the money you might, re the generational wealth that you might gain from uh, Bitcoin by, by getting in early, it's a way bigger deal. Um, because there is no fix from the existing system short of concentrating all power in the state. I, I want to get to a part of the discussion, because uh, I'm pretty sure we're in violent agreement about uh, almost everything discussed so far, but I want to talk about an area where maybe we're not in such agreement. Um, so, uh, you know, I, like Bitcoin for me was, uh, it's still a large focus, right? Uh, Blockworks obviously covers a lot of stuff outside of just the Bitcoin ecosystem. I'd love to get both of your thoughts in general on uh, assets outside, other crypto assets outside of just Bitcoin. So ETH and even beyond, right? Some of these other layer ones or gaming, things like Axie Infinity, whatever kind of cropping up. Um, I know uh, maybe I'll pick on you, Jeff, to go first because I know you have some thoughts on this. So maybe you can kick off your, your thoughts. I am not in any of those. Mm -hmm. And I'm not in, and, and not to say that if it was just about wealth or short-term trade, that that I might not be. You can imagine it with with the type of influence or dynamic and everything else. I could go create a coin, 
mm. right away a whole bunch of people and create, create, create a coin and create a whole bunch of wealth that way and, and essentially game my advantage to the loss of other people right i could pre-mine a coin i could bring a whole bunch of people and they say and by the way i have been asked to do that mm. by countless people to get involved in their thing because because that'll bring more people onto their altcoin platform right right and and to to one i will say unnamed person in this space in the financial world that said but we should write the rules of what that looks like and i am categorically against that and so so i i'm not categorically against a free market deciding what coin is better i'm not uh, the, the the but i'm categorically against kind of integrity to i'm going to sell my soul for money so uh so so most of those i see as as actually all of those i see over time and this we can disagree here and i might be wrong but i actually can't see if the base layer is money or the is is and, and now the technology starts to exist because the base layer can't be corrupted and it's secured through proof of work why the technology doesn't evolve to handle every other use case that current altcoins handle so in it i understand totally why ethereum would it would live for a time well that technology didn't exist because you could create a whole bunch of you could sell art on on that and you couldn't on bitcoin right you could you could do a whole bunch of different things you could create a, 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 a and so you could actually drive a network effect on ethereum because it did a different job or in a bunch of the other coins um because it did a different job and now it's a race to the bottom on fees um and why 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 they keep changing the rules of these altcoins is because it's the race to the bottom on fees and somebody is attacking them right or you you manage for security through pr- proof of work so so you look at this entire ecosystem that is is almost i would say trying to find what it's going to be long term mm. at the same time bitcoin is advancing the technology stack to remove it all and 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 so if i'm looking at a long term if i'm looking at a long term for, forget the for, forget now making money because i think you make way more money over the long term in bitcoin but forget that if i'm looking for the long term thing that is going to to tr- uh, be a network transfer from one system that can't work to another system it's only bitcoin mm. and so so the, the, that's that's my reason so what a great uh again <laughs> it's great to be on a podcast with you jeff um you, you bring everything you, you you distill things into first principles in simplest terms uh i, I want to take a step back and make sure everyone understands why i got involved in bitcoin because i had been searching for a replacement to the fiat ponzi for 30 years okay <laughs> i just never found it i i understood gold i just didn't embrace it like some of the other gold portfolio managers uh because of some of the shortcomings that being said the thing that i loved after having met jeff is i read his book after i wrote my research paper on bitcoin being valued using credit default swaps 
And it was really comforting to read Jeff's book because he used a lot of the same data as to the inevitability of the debt spiral from sources like Institute of International Finance that aren't widely published by the investment banks in uh, in New York. I guess why? Because it would be exposing the Fiat Fiat Ponzi. So I was really comforted by the fact that Jeff's book used the same data by and large as I did or vice versa, I was comforted that I used the same data that he did. And we came to the same conclusion independently and then became pretty good friends. I was out skiing at Whistler one time in the in the winter, just less than a year ago, and I called him up and we instantly bonded over the ability to, to uh, distill the, the information that's available, but not widely disseminated because, you know, the investment banks don't disseminate that. So I met Jeff and we had never talked about this. We don't talk about altcoins. We talk about our desire to improve the world's most pressing problem, which is fiat currency. And none of these other altcoins can do that, in my opinion. Now, will there be more than one winner in the short term on a number go up because there's DeFi on ERC-20 and there's different blockchains that have various levels of decentralization, but at the end of the day, they sort of smell like a lot of centralized control. Over time, there's a lot of people that believe that other blockchains and apps on those blockchains are essentially a test net for layer three Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And as a trader all my life, I am not short any of those, okay? There will be a time when it's very clear that the dodgy coins of the world that are true zero-sum scams promoted by a pretty famous guy. Uh, But look, you got to call it out as it is. There are times when it will pay to be short those. But right now, Bitcoin is the leader by market cap, but it also is what most big money is going to understand. They need it as a hedge to the absolute certainty of fiat debasing. And this brings me back to my career as a bond trader. If you advance a 10-year loan to the U.S. Treasury, highly, highly likely, but not 100% certain, you'll get your money back in 10 years. The biggest problem is you get a debased currency, 100 cents on the dollar back in 10 years. You might have 65% purchasing power if you're lucky. What kind of contract is that? Like, what? I'm a bond manager. This is. I need to start thinking outside the box. And that bond market is $400 trillion. That's all fixed income, by the way. It's not just government bond market. Point being, why are we battling with the gold bugs? That's $10 trillion. That's okay, gone. See ya. We don't care. Like we want gold to go up because gold will go up because Bitcoin goes up because fiat, 100% certain debases. And a lot of these other coins that are out there, yes, they will go up. Why? They solve a short-term problem. But in the long term, is there a better decentralized blockchain for those apps to exist on? How about this? Right now, I'm not going to worry about that. My biggest problem is I don't want this fiat system to collapse before we have this other network in place where there can be an orderly transfer. And I want to sum it up with a, a, a saying that I love saying: I want Bitcoin to be North America's store of value that the Chinese graciously have given us. Like, have you seen these mining stats now? USA, biggest center of mining for Bitcoin mining. China, almost down to zero. 
my goodness, I think as a capitalist with a heart, okay, I have a heart, I want to help the people at the lower end of the privilege spectrum, but I'm a capitalist, not a communist. These, the communists have given this as a, as a present to the West. Embrace it. Bitcoin is your store of value savings account. Fiat currency in the, in the short to medium term will be your checking account. Don't save your money in your checking account. Use that for not having to do barter. What are, where do altcoins then fit in between here? Okay, think of your savings account, checking account. I think a neat way of seeing whether an altcoin has any value, how close is it to a checking account versus a true savings account? And play your cards accordingly. Michael, I, maybe ask you, and the reason I, so, so when I'm investing or building a company or, or, or spending time on it, I wonder, I want to understand the thesis right from the bottom up. And I want to understand what could possibly go wrong. I want to understand, one of the first things I look at is what are all the things that could go wrong with, I have this view, what are all the things that could go wrong with, with this view? And and if I do that on Bitcoin and the altcoins, I can't see a path for any of the altcoins. Hmm. I may be wrong, right? I may be, but, but I don't see with the, and, and the problem is measuring in a point in time, and that's actually maybe, maybe the opposite side of the argument. Opposite side of the argument is I totally understand how some people can make a lot of money in a short, ter uh, short term on some of the altcoins. I totally understand it. Whether they're whether they're gamed, whether they, if you get in, you're trading on a, on, a, on 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 hype and everything else, and you're trying to trade a momentum play, I get it. I'm talking the thesis for them against the thesis for uh, for what is going to happen with projecting what's going to happen with Bitcoin forward. And specifically, I'm talking layer because it's a, I don't think I don't think we would disagree that. Bitcoin is already one layer one store of value. Sure, absolutely. Right? And so, so, so what? What in time, as the technology develops on that on layer two and three, do those altcoins provide that it gives it gives a defensible moat to the altcoin? And that would be my question. I think if you approach everything happening in crypto from the standpoint of this is solving a monetary problem then Bitcoin is a clear winner solution bar none. I don't even think any of these other coins like even ETH or, or any of these other layer ones are even trying to be a money or a store. I mean, I guess there is the ETH is sound money, whatever. I, I think they, it wins the store value. I think why they just changed to that is because they realize exactly what we just talked about. Mm. They realize that unless, it's, uh, unless it becomes a store of value, which is highly unlikely, that everything else is lost over time. I believe that that's why, the, but it becomes a centralized store of value in that case. So I would go like starting way back, right? The advantage that humans have over everything else on this planet is coordination, right? That's how we hunted back on the plains of the savannah. That's how we were able to build cities from an evolutionary standpoint. Our one big advantage is that we're intelligent enough to coordinate in novel ways, right? We had like nomads roaming around, then we had cities. Um, consummate to that, uh, trend, right, which is like a millennia old trend in humanity, uh, you have everything moving more digital in general, right? Life uh, is, is moving to a more digital plane. Um, and and my, my personal thesis behind everyone who doesn't understand Bitcoin, the chief objection, if you scratch hard enough, is that you can't pick it up with your hand, 
That's my personal thought process on it. Um, I, I really believe that. Uh, like, if you really dig hard enough, what you come down to is the problem that I can't hold it in my hand. Um, so I, I personally kind of see economies transitioning to something that looks a lot more digital. So if you go back to the original innovation of what did Satoshi create, I think what he created was the creation of scarcity in the digital realm. And the first most important use case of that is the monetary use case. And I think Bitcoin handily solved that monetary use case. Now I see what's happening in Ethereum and you know DAOs and NFTs is like, okay, now we've got the money layer of this new digital world solved. What are the other things that we're going to build in this new digital realm? And when I look at the existing world and everything's completely out of whack today. So let's like use another period of time in history. But I look at what is the sound value, pristine collateral type thing that everyone wants to own in relation to riskier assets and more productive assets, companies, things that are building on top of that pristine collateral. And it's like, you know, so I guess the way I look at it is the, the eventual value of things that are going to be built in this new digital ecosystem looks roughly like the ratio of gold to equities today. That's my, like, you guys can totally disagree and tell me why I'm an idiot, but that's the way that I think about it. Uh, I see us transitioning to a primarily digital native economy. I think gold, by the way, I, I'm younger. I see the value in gold. Honestly, if I'd been bored 70 years ago, I would own a lot of gold. Today, I, I only own Bitcoin because I believe that economic value is transitioning to a largely digital plane. I think the preferred store value is going to be Bitcoin. And I, I, I actually think when the rest of the world starts to consider Bitcoin as a store of value instead of a risk asset is when the majority of the economy happens on this digital plane. But that's my overall framework, Jeff. So, so yeah, so let's play that forward and, and, and because I agree with a lot. Of, so you said solve the coordination problem. Mm -hmm. I totally agree, totally agree. Right, the the Byzantines general problem and everything else, and Bitcoin solves that coordination program, a, a, a coordination problem at a different le level, where you don't need to have slack in the system, somebody else choosing how much money, and, and a, an intermediary choosing how much money is going to be held as slack in the system because it can't it can't uh, it, it it can't uh, settle every ten minutes, mm -hmm. right? So 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 that coordination problem becomes solved with Bitcoin. And, and now the next step of that is the question is, is too, does it require a whole bunch of other altcoins to be built, building layer two on top of the internet, right? Because if, if you just say what you just said is, then you have to see Bitcoin as a primary protocol like TCP IP, it is the internet. Mm. It's the internet of money, if that's true. Sure. Right now, what I believe happens on top of that internet of money through layer two and three, layer three of solutions is all of the innovation takes place on top of it rather than in a different, different silos mm -hmm. Be, because, because it solves that coordination problem and it's already sol solved that. Anyways, that, that is, if you're looking out, kind of looking out and projecting, if, if you said today, or if you said, let's not use today. Because we, we can see the evidence of Lightning Network reinforcing what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And I think you'll see the evidence of, of the same thing with Taproot and, and, and a whole bunch of other things reinforcing an entire ecosystem build on top of it. But let's look back in time two years. instead, of, and, and Bitcoin only was the store of value. It was Greg's savings account. 
it was only the store value or it was it was just it was competing against gold and you didn't have lightning network and there was an opportunity and there was a whole digital economy thriving and there was an opportunity to create a digitally native token that could help that along that was that bitcoin couldn't do that's why i totally understand ethereum where it was I understand the value creation that came on Ethereum of trying to do something else and a whole bunch of value delivered from that. My question is, I don't see the use case going forward with all of the innovation and everything else that's happening that's reinforcing the primary network. I don't, and, and I may be wrong, but I don't see it. Hey guys, I don't think I'm going to get back in the show, but I have to run anyway, yep, if you can hear I, me. Yeah, um, sorry I think about I, that. I'm out. It's all good, Jeff. I'm so glad I had the last uh, the opportunity to listen to it. I don't think I'm I'm being recorded, but I wanted to say thank you to you both, and please relay that to the uh, to the crowd. I love being on a show with Jeff because I learn way, way, way more in 45 minutes or an hour and a half than I've learned in, you know, the week and a half prior. So right, uh, right back at you, Greg, right back at you. <laughs> well, let's keep this going because the kids need it. Michael, there'll be more than one winner and there needs to be more than one winner in the short term, but in the long term, and that's the difference between a trader and an investor in the long term, uh, you know, you play your thesis. I really, really, really hope that what you guys keep doing is educating. That's all that's important. Jeff says frequently he may be wrong, and I know for sure I'm Me often too. wrong. Yeah. But there's a trading expression, frequently wrong but never in doubt, okay? <laughs> I'm frequently wrong but I'm never in doubt, okay? So keep up the good work, and, uh, and I, I, I really appreciate you guys inviting me. Have fun on your trip, Jeff. We'll talk soon, okay, bud? Thanks, Thanks Greg. Thank you, guys. See ya. Good day. All Good right. day. All right. I'll, I'll give a bit of a disclaimer for, for Greg uh, since we, I think, lost him uh, for whatever reason. It might have been uh, networking space or whatever. We, we got to wrap this up, I guess. But, Jeff, this has been awesome. I guess, look, end of day, um, I, I just really appreciate you coming on the show, sharing your opinion here. I have no idea which one is going to be right. I think at the end of the day, you need to do the thing that uh, I've started to give people this advice when they're like, how much Bitcoin should I buy or something? Just buy the amount. Buy the amount that if it dipped 50%, you wouldn't sell it. And at the end of the day, I think people should only really do things that they have conviction in. I have a lot of conviction in Bitcoin. I also have a lot of conviction in ETH. I don't have a colossal amount of conviction in other things outside of those two assets at this point. So I own some of them, but I don't own a whole lot. And that might change. Um, try to keep everyone on the show updated. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, what I do have deep conviction around is this space in general, because I can see guys like you, uh, Jeff and Greg, you guys moving in that just the pure intellectual capital uh, and the amount of stuff going on just blows my mind all the time. And I just feel super lucky to be a part of it, to be completely honest. Yeah. With you. And, and, and by the way, Michael, me too, that conversation we just had on that, mm -hmm. those are the types of conversations, open, curious on a, and everything else and different view, viewpoints that actually bring a whole bunch more. And again, I might be wrong. I could um, be too. It's, it's, yeah. it, it, but, but that type of conversation brings a whole bunch more people to, to understand. And it's important. It's a really important asset class to understand. Yeah, I do. I want to uh, put you on the spot here to plug your book because it's great. Uh, tell people about uh, The Price of Tomorrow, 
where they can find it. Also, if they want to find out more about you, just like what's the best way to do that? Uh, myself, just on Twitter, at Jeff Booth is probably the best place to find me. Uh, Amazon's probably the best place to find the book, The Price of Tomorrow, Why Deflation is Key to an Abundant Future. Jeff's book was foundational for me for understanding a lot of the deflationary argument and the impact of money. Definitely, uh, I'll, I'll say it for you, Jeff, you should definitely go read this book. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and that's about all the time that we have. Uh, Jeff, this has been a ton of fun. Uh, we're pouring one out. Uh, for Greg, <laughs> we lost just at the tail end of the show, uh, but it was a ton of fun. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. It's awesome. Take care.